Turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 18. Probably no one's favorite passage here this morning. You seldom ever hear a sermon from 2 Chronicles 18. It is a strange little story. So let's look at this story and see what we can find here from 2 Chronicles 18. God has no obstacles in working out his will. In fact, he uses our folly and our sinfulness, our selfishness, and all of our mistakes in some ironic way to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish all along. You see, one of the mysteries of the sovereignty of God is that he can give us complete freedom of choice and yet turn and use our poor selections to accomplish his own will. Even when we've disappointed him in what we've decided. What we finally see is there are no obstacles to God's ultimate will. God works out his purpose through and in spite of the disobedience in our lives. He gets his way despite you and despite me. There's a real way in which you and I might make our own poor choices and therefore not be used as God would want us to be used. Indeed, we may not be living as God would want us to live, but His overarching purposes are accomplished with or without us. It is we ourselves who are left out and missed out when God is doing His work in his way. Well, he had a lot of money. In 2 Chronicles 17 through 20, we have the story of the wealthy king Jehoshaphat. Not only did he have a lot of money, he was a devout king to God. He accomplished everything he accomplished because the Lord was with him. Turn back to chapter 17 and, and verse 3. 2 Chronicles 17, 3. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father David earlier days, and he did not seek the bells. You see, Jehoshaphat was obedient like David had been, and God was blessing Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. He had everything going for him. He was obedient, and God was blessing him, and the last thing he needed to do was what he actually does here in 2 Chronicles 18. He formed an alliance with the dreaded, nasty king Ahab, the king of the other kingdom, Israel. He was established, Jehoshaphat was as king, and all of Judah had given him so many gifts until he had great wealth and great honor in fact, God was blessing Jehoshaphat so much. Look at chapter 17 and verse 10. Now the dread of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of the lands which were around Judah, so they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. God was blessing everything that Jehoshaphat did, and all the other nations were afraid to go a war against Judah. Well, the first thing we see in this strange little story is Choose your friends and alliances carefully. Choose your friends and your alliances carefully. 
That's when we come to chapter 18. We're surprised to learn that Jehoshaphat, who had God's blessing and had great riches and had all the other nations afraid to pursue him, that he made an alliance with a dirty, rotten character of the king's Ahab. Well, you see, Jehoshaphat's son married Ahab's daughter. It was an arranged wedding, a political union. Well, Ahab just happened to invite old Jehoshaphat over for a banquet celebrating the event of their children's wedding. And he slaughtered sheep after sheep and ox after ox. He had a buffet that made the food on a carnival cruise look like bread and water. He just kept feeding old Jehoshaphat. And right there when Jehoshaphat was dazzled at the great banquet of King Ahab and the extravagance during his official state visit to Samaria, he swept off his feet. And look at 18.2. Look at the end. Ahab slaughtered many sheep and oxen for him and the people who were with him and induced him to go up against Ramoth Gilead. And Ahab, king of Israel, said, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go up with me against Ramoth Gilead? And he said to him, I am as you are. My people are your people. And we will be with you in battle. You see, it was Ahab's fight against the Arameans. It was not Jehosh Jehoshaphat's fight. Jehoshaphat, you want to say in the text, God is blessing you. You have wealth. You have all the other nations afraid of you. What are you doing? Ahab is terrible marrying your son to his daughter and going to war with him against Ramoth Gilead. He knows better. You never join forces with those like Ahab who hate your Lord. God had already given Jehoshaphat everything he could ever desire, and he knew better. And likewise, we know better than ever joining alliance with someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But Jehoshaphat did it, and we did it. Well, what he says in response is, I'm with you, Ahab. My people or your people, and we will be with you when we go to battle. I want you to flip forward to 19 too. How did God respond to this unholy alliance between Judah and Israel, between Jehoshaphat and Ahab? In 19.2, and Jehu, the son of Hananiah, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? So bring wrath on yourself from the Lord? Now back to chapter 18. What are you doing, Jehoshaphat, the prophet said? Why are you forming alliance with one who hates your Lord? Why are you in cahoots with Ahab? Well, it's almost an insult. Look at verse 4. Now Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire first of the word of the Lord. Ahab says, will you go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said, my people are your people. We'll be with you. But I got one question. Will, will you check with the prophets and see if it's okay to go to battle? Will you check with the prophets? Well, the second thing we learned here 
is never pick a preacher who will only say what you want him to say. Never pick a preacher who will only say what you want him to say. Could you ask the prophets and see if we should go to battle? Look at verse 5. Then the king of Israel assembled the prophets, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up. God will give it into the hand of the king. They were 400 paid-for prophets, just the kind of guys who will tell the king anything he wants to hear because he's paid their salary. He posed a question as, as if he wasn't sure how they'd respond. Do you think I should go to battle against the Arameans? Do you think we will win? He asked the men of God, the paid for prophets, and they say, go up. The Lord will give the Arameans into your hand. Now, Zedekiah was among those false prophets. In verse 10, Zedekiah Look at, look at verse 10. And Zedekiah, the son of Canana, made horns of iron for himself and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Arameans until they are consumed. And all the prophets were prophesying, thus saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and succeed, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Zedekiah made these bronze horns, and he kind of play-acted with the other 400 prophets, and he put the bronze horns on, he ran through the crowd. He acted as if he were goring the other prophets, and they would fall and play dead. It was a imagery. It was a symbol. If you go against the Arameans, against Ramoth, Gilead, you will gore them just like Zedekiah. The prophet is goring the other prophets, and it was an acted parable declaring the victory if they will Go. So 400 preachers said, yep, go up, you're going to win. But Jehoshaphat said in verse 6, Is there not yet a prophet of the Lord that we might inquire of him? Let me translate, translate that for you. I know what your paid-for preachers are saying, says Jehoshaphat. But I ponder, is there a real prophet of God that we could ask him? He was unconvinced by the 400 paid-for preachers. Is there a not-paid-for prophet? Is there a, not an employed evangelist, not a sought-after seer? Is there a real man of God? Is there a real prophet of the Lord who might help us? Verse 7 is kind of funny response. Well, there's this one guy. Yeah, there's one guy left, Micaiah, but I don't like him because he always says bad things to me. He never tells me what I want to hear. I won't lie to you. There's one more, but don't bring him out. He will say all sorts of bad things against me. And well, Jehoshaphat wants to hear from Micaiah, the real prophet of the Lord. Well, in verse 12, the messenger goes to summon Micaiah, the real prophet of the Lord. Look at the middle of verse 12. This is what the one who summons Micaiah says to him. Behold, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. So please let your word be like one of them and speak favorably. 
We've already had 400 preachers come in and tell the king to go against Ramoth Gilead. So don't stir the water. Don't make things more complicated than they need to be. When you go and speak before King Ahab and his new alliance, King Jehoshaphat, you just tell him to go to war like everybody else. Don't muddy the waters, Micaiah. And Micaiah says, verse 13, I will only speak what the Lord tells me to speak. You can't tell me what to preach, Micaiah says. I won't try to be convenient in my prophetic proclamation. I will only speak what the Lord tells me to speak. So the king asks, are we going to go, Micaiah? If we go up to Ramoth Gilead, are we going to win the war? Verse 14, Micaiah says, oh, yes, go up, go up. You're the man, Ahab. You're going to win. There had to be some sarcasm in his voice because Ahab can tell that Micaiah is mocking him. And he says, would you please tell me the truth? Verse 15 and verse 16, he gives him the ugly truth. So he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, they have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Did I not tell you, verse 17, this guy never has anything good to say to me. I knew he'd bring a bad word. I told you not to go get that prophet. In verse 18, the passage that was read to you is a strange little story. In fact, I would say of the strange stories in the Old Testament, this has got to be in the top five right here. This is strange. You were invited to the throne room of God. God and the heavenly host are gathered around. And the strangest thing happens. It's kind of a conversation between God and the heavenly host. And it goes like this. God says, it's time for Ahab to die. He has been a wicked king. He's got to go. Now, how are we going to arrange it for him to die? And it says, this host, host of heaven said this, and that host of heaven said that. It's kind of interesting. They're all trying to come up with ways for Ahab to die. All the heavenly hosts are trying to suggest to God a way that they would like to see oh Ahab die. And so this one says this, and that one says that, says Scripture. And then finally, one of the spirits steps forward and says, I got an idea, God. Isn't this strange? This spirit steps up and says, I got an idea, God. I will go and be a deceptive spirit, and I will talk him into going to battle against Ramoth Gilead, and he'll die. Well, how are you going to do that? Asked God. I will enter into his paid-for prophets, and I will tell him to go to war, and he will listen to me, and he will go, and he will die in war. And God says, now of all the heavenly hosts, this spirit has the best idea. You go, and you deceive Ahab, and you will prevail. Now, isn't that strange? Look at it in verse 19. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab? of Israel to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead. I love this. And one said this, and another said that. All the ways, don't you wish they'd list the top 10 ways for Ahab to die? Wouldn't that have been a, a special there? One said this, the other said that. 
Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I'll entice him. And the Lord said, how you going to do that? He said, I will go up and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And then he said, you go, you entice him and he will die. It's a grand plan. I will inhabit the false prophets. We will convince Ahab he's going to win and he will go to war. Now, what's stranger now, enter real time. Micaiah is actually telling Ahab that God has a plan against you and there's a spirit that's in your prophets and he's deceiving you. You think Ahab would say, oh, now that I see what's going on, I'm not going to go to battle. He is so arrogant and wants to do what he wants to do. Even when he is told that God has a plan against him, he enters the battle anyway. God allowed the foolishness of this king to be his own undoing. In fact, God is giving him a last warning through Micaiah, even revealing God's own plan. That's the way God is, isn't it? He allows those who oppose him to choose how they're going to go down. He gives us over to our own undoing. These paid-for prophets who rarely ever are instruments of God are actually now instruments of God. The false prophets are instruments of God in giving a false message. God has his way despite the fact that they're lying because God wanted them to lie to get Ahab to go to battle to die. It's a strange story. You see, if you really believe in the sovereignty of God, God is big enough to give us our own free choices. Ahab was not forced to go to battle. In fact, he was even revealed the plan. But God uses whatever we choose to get what God wants done. So thirdly, there are no obstacles for God. And our freedom of choice is not thwarted. Ahab chose evil. He constantly and willfully, consistently chose to go against the real prophet of God. Yes, the prophets made their own decision to be paid for prophets. And even as they choose to be yes men and lying false prophets, God is using their lying to get what God wants done. Now, when Micaiah made this statement, the paid for prophets were being controlled by the deceptive spirit. Old Zedekiah, look at verse 23. Then Zedekiah, who's one of the false prophets, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek. Let me translate what he says to you. Now, why are you sure that the Spirit's now speaking through you and not through me? The one who had worn the bronze horns and made the play-acted parable says, slap to Micaiah, how dare you take away the stage and pretend to be speaking for God? Well, Micaiah says, you are a seer who cannot see. King Ahab says to the dungeon with Micaiah, you feed him bread and water until I come back from war. Look at verse 27. Micaiah says, no, maybe you misunderstood, Ahab. You're not coming back from war. You're going down. If, if you come back from war, then I am not speaking for God. There's a, there's a fourth thing you see. When we choose to go our way, Instead of God's way, we put our, ourselves in danger. We choose to go our way instead of God's way. We put 
ourselves in danger. Isn't it interesting that Jehoshaphat, now the good king, the godly king, asked, is there a real prophet? Could you ask the prophets, 400 prophets say go. He knows they're telling a lie. He says, could you find a real prophet of God? They find a real prophet of God, and that prophet says don't go. And yet Jehoshaphat still does what he shouldn't be doing. And this is the good king. Have you ever in your life sought God's blessing but not God's will? In fact, what we really want sometimes is God to bless our own will rather than to live God's will in our life. Sometimes we're like that. If God will bless our will and our way, then we'll follow him. But if God shows us another will or another way, then we will not follow. And Jehoshaphat was otherwise a good king. Well, it's battle day. I got to speed up here, so I won't read as much. I'll just tell you the story. It's battle day, and Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, you know, I don't feel like wearing my kingly garb today. If you have the king's garb at war, you got a bullseye on your chest, right? You killed the king. And so now Jehoshaphat has just been asked to go to war with Ahab, and now Ahab's setting Jehoshaphat up to get killed. You go ahead and wear your your general's outfit, if you will, king. I'm just going to wear a common soldier's outfit. You look nice. You wear that. I'll just dress like a common man. And Jehoshaphat doesn't catch on to what's going on. And so they go to battle. And there is King Ahab dressed like a common soldier. And the, the chief of the Arameans, he says to them, only go after Ahab. Don't even worry with Jehoshaphat. If we can get Ahab, we have won the war. They look at Jehoshaphat. He's dressed like a king. They start chasing him. And Jehoshaphat, who wanted to do his own thing, starts crying out to God, Oh, God, they're going to get me. And, well, God directs them away from Jehoshaphat. And the battle is about over. And Ahab is just all safe. Turn over to the very last. Verse 33, And a certain man drew his bow at random. Well, cut your eyes over to a distant bunker. The battle's about over, and there's two bored soldiers, and they're archers. And one of them says, you know, before we call it quits, I'm going to shoot one more arrow, you know, just for good luck. And he draws it back, and he lets it go. And Ahab is dressed like a common soldier on the plane of war. There's a little crack a seam between his armor, a joint in the armor, and God directs the arrow and it lands on Ahab who's in disguise at just the precise millimeter to strike him dead. Lucky shot? I don't think so. God directed the arrow to the little crease and Ahab dies on the battlefield. God was big enough to give what God wanted done. In Psalm 139, the psalmist says, God, you hear me in to the front, you hear me in to the back, and where can I go that you're not there? If I ascend to heaven, God, you are there. If I go down to the depth, you are there. If I'm in the sky, you are there. If I go to the underworld, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, I cannot escape your presence, God. 
Even there your hand will guide me, nor in darkness which hides me from human sight can hide you from God's gaze. Think of all the big ones in the world. Ahab, Jehoshaphat, Sennacherib, Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander, Napoleon, Biden, Xi Jinping, Putin. Do you suppose they're really calling the shots? God is greater than the world's big people. He brings princes to naught, reduces the rulers of the world to nothing. Behold your God. A God who knows no obstacles. God will get what God wants done with or without you. You can join in or you can miss out, but you cannot limit his will. Even a combination of kings, then or now, cannot stop the will in the way of Yahweh. Let us pray. Oh God, you're awfully big in Second Chronicles 18. We get a peek into your throne room where we can see that even our foolishness and our folly is being used by you. Perhaps there's someone here this morning who would say, I no longer want to seek God's blessing for my own will and way. I really want to do what God wants me to do. Maybe there's some here this morning who need to be careful about their alliances and their friendships with those who would not seek or follow God. Maybe they're the Jehoshaphat who is chasing after Nahab. Maybe some of us need to hear this morning that if we insist on going our way instead of your way, oh God, we're going to find ourselves in danger. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.